You're listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Well, it's so good to be here with all of you. I missed you guys uh, last week a lot. People have asked, like, how was your trip? It was good, but it was better to come home to see all of your beautiful faces. Although it is kind of dark, so I can't make out if it is a beautiful face or not, but you're just gonna, it's all good. Bad jokes, right? Um, So we finished up a series on uh, forgiveness, and uh, how many of you enjoyed that one? I know that was pretty heavy, and uh, if the Holy Spirit dealt with your heart the way that he dealt with mine. I know there were probably some clumsy, awkward phone calls, text messages, and emails, but I just want you to know that that is an extremely good thing because we don't want anything standing between our brothers and sisters. Um, I want to give one reminder. Oh, that's cool. Um, I want to give one. Tyler made it. I hadn't seen it yet. Um, one reminder for the men's retreat, this is literally the last call. So after service today at Guest Central, um, Chris is going to be there. And so any questions you have, or if you want to sign up, we only have three spots available. So we've had a great response to that, but make sure that you meet with him because after today it's gone. We're going to start getting all the food, getting everything together. And then we're heading out of town and who knows, we might come back with like full grown beards. I don't know what's going to happen in the middle of the wilderness, but it's going to be crazy. Okay. Uh, and I can't wait because um, I need to learn how to do all of those things. And so today I'm going to talk to you about a message uh, that's pretty heavy. So I'm just going to ask you to kind of buckle up. Um, this is a message uh, that I feel isn't taught that often, um, but needs to be taught a whole lot more. I would consider this one of my core messages, just the background from where I came from, the way that I was discipled. And I found so much um, strength in, in this heart posture, in this vantage point that I want to share with you today. But I am going to tell you that it is pretty heavy subject matter. I wouldn't give it a PG-13, but right between PG-13, maybe rated R. Um, but it's all good. We have a lot of adults in here. I'm just joking, but it is heavy, okay? So um, before I go there, though, I want to share this with you uh, to open it up. So when I went to Bible college, uh, it was a crazy experience, right? Because Bible college, if you haven't heard, it's kind of weird. Regular college is weird, but Bible college is even weirder in a different way. And they had this guest minister, and he was preaching on, um, he was preaching on Jesus. He was preaching on God. And he made this statement, right? He made this statement. He said, you can have as much of God as you want. Now, you have to understand, anytime like a preacher at a Bible college says anything, people are jumping out of their chairs. It's like a, it's like a Dave Matthews concert. Nobody's wearing f- shoes. It's like everybody's running around. It's like, it's just nuts. So everybody's like acting like just crazy animals. He makes this statement like, yeah, you know, freaking out. And I remember thinking like, that's really good. I can have as much of God as you want. And then he dropped this bomb and he said, in fact, you already do. And when he said that, like the mood instantly shifted. And when the guy that was like jumping on the chair like this stopped and, you know, he's like, I look like an idiot right now. Um, And I thought to myself, well, I don't have as much of God as I want, you know, I've always, um, I want to be as close to God as I can. And the thought and the idea that I'm as close to God as I'm ever going to be kind of breaks my heart because I want to grow. And, you know, when he shared that, I instantly thought of the scripture, James 4, 8, where in the Bible, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, who draws first? We do. 
There's something that we do that causes the creator of heaven and earth to actually come closer to you. What an amazing thought that I can take steps towards God. And when I do, God will come closer to me. So literally the ball has always been in our court. Once God sent Jesus and Jesus tore the veil and made a way for all of mankind to come to God, the proverbial ball has always been in man's court. The question is, how close are you willing to come? Just like that preacher was saying, you have as much of God as you want. You know, what else that scripture tells me is that we determine how close we are with God, not God. Again, the ball is in our court. In fact, can I say this? That God is more passionate about being in relationship with you than you are with him. The Bible says in James 4, 5, Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit dwells in us, yearns jealously. That word yearns means to long after intensely. I want to ask you a question. When was, have you ever longed after something intensely? Maybe it was your spouse when you were dating and you were chasing her and, you know, you were like Axe body spray all over. You're like, man, she's going to fall for me. (laughs) Um, Which doesn't work, by the way. I had to learn that the hard way, but, you know. Um, But it all worked out. I was supposed to end up with Jess, so it it all worked out. Um, But God is, he's, he's, crazy after you. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 139, 17 through 18, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. I want you to think about that. You know, God is intentional about using imagery. God is trying to paint a picture. And often when he's trying to communicate something to you that your mind simply can't grasp, like a never-ending hole, when your mind tries to grasp that, it simply can't, right? Or when did everything begin and when did everything end? There's no beginning or end. You can't, you can't, you can't comprehend that. God gives imagery. So he's giving the imagery, okay, of sand, of the grains of sand, to correlate how often he thinks about us. Now, the most beautiful thing about this is in his imagery, this isn't just poetry, but God is, is, is telling us how often he thinks about us. In other words, God is not exaggerating. This isn't hyperbole. 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 God can't exaggerate. Right? Because exaggeration is a lie. I work out with a lot of dudes who say they can bench press one thing, but when it actually comes to it, they can't. Or how about the classic, check out my fish, and the camera's right here, but it's really like this big? Right? Fishermen exaggerate, people in the gym exaggerate, people exaggerate. Okay? But God cannot exaggerate because God cannot tell a lie. It's not in his character. So you can take it to the bank. When God says, do you know how much I love you? Let me, let me just tell you how often I think about you. Think about every grain of sand on the earth, every beach, every desert, every sandbox, every golf course, every grain of sand. He says, I think about you way more than all of those grains of sand. 
Not only that, but before you ever even drew a breath on this planet, Psalm 139.16 says that every moment of your life was recorded. Not only does he think about you, but he penned out every moment of your life. So there is no one more excited to see you walk in your destiny or your calling than God because God was the one that gave it to you. And there's no one that wants to spend more time with you on this earth than God because he was the one that created you. He said he knit you together in your mother's womb. Again, imagery, encapsul- you know, encapsulating the imagination. Why? Because he wants you to know that you weren't made in an assembly line. You weren't made in a factory. He took his time with you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. So God is crazy, crazy, crazy passionate about you. I almost busted into the Beyonce song. <laughs> God, we looking so crazy right now. Um, but there's, there's a danger here, okay? So that's all awesome. That's all amazing. God loves you. But there's a disconnect sometimes. There's, there's, there's something that happens that prevents us from coming closer to God. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And to open up this heavy topic, okay, I'm going to start with Psalm 89.7. This is out of the New King Jimmy, so let's go ahead and take a look at it. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. What I want to talk to you about today is the fear of the Lord. And as I unpack this unfortunate mystery in the body of Christ, I believe that you're going to see that the fear of the Lord is actually the key to intimacy with God. It's actually the key to being close with God. But before we dive into that, we have to address this word fear. Because when you think of fear, you think Freddy Krueger or you think of being scared, right? But that's not what this word means. Okay, because you can't be in an intimate relationship with someone you are afraid of. So think of fear in the traditional sense that we understand in English and go ahead and get rid of that definition. One of the things you have to understand is that the Hebrews had like 12,000 words in their vocabulary. English has like 6,000. So that's why preachers and teachers are always saying in the Hebrew, it says this. In the Greek, it says this. They do it for one of two reasons. One, to help you understand that there were twice as many words available to the Hebrew and Greek writers as there are available to us. And secondly, they do it to make themselves look really, really smart. Okay? So whenever they use that, that's one of the two reasons. But there is a use of why we need to understand what these words break down into the Hebrew and into the Greek. This is an Old Testament scripture, so we're looking at it in the Hebrew. But the fear that the writer of Psalms is talking about here can be best defined as reverence and awe. And I know that this is something that I've mentioned many, many times, but this is something that we have to get inside of us because I believe We have lost, as a culture, as a society, our reverence and our awe. Okay? There is nothing that we look at that that gets our reverence anymore. There's nothing that we look at that gets our awe. But do you understand there were certain words 
reserved in the Hebrew language that were only to be assigned to describe God. And you could not use those words to describe anything else. See, these days, the word awesome would only be reserved to, to, to describe God. So when a Hebrew man came across another Hebrew man, and they were, or, or even a, a person of a different uh, tribe, and he was explaining his God, he would use this word awesome, full of awe. Their, their words fall short. But today, my kicks can be awesome, my burger can be awesome, and God is awesome. Do you see how the enemy has dumbed down words? Therefore, creating this... Uh, this familiar spirit with God, this casual spirit with God, which actually ends up turning into a dishonoring of God, not holding God in reverence, not understanding that God is the beginning and end of all things. And so I'll just define those two words for you. Super hot in here, right? Uh, Reverence, deep regard or respect for someone or something. Ah, a feeling of reverential respect and genuine wonder. The interesting thing about those two words is that God actually wants us to approach him with wonder. Why? Because it opens, our, our, it opens us up to understand this, that we're truly never going to understand God. There's so much to God. You're never going to get to this level in your walk at Christianity and say, I've checked the box. I know everything there is to know about Christianity. I know everything there is to know about God. God is a mystery. And that's one of the most beautiful things is we get to explore that relationship and we get to find things out about God that we didn't know in our 40s, in our 50s, in our 60s, in our 70s. It's one of the most beautiful things. This is actually the way that we should approach marriage. We shouldn't look at our spouse and say, I know everything about my spouse. But we should be in awe of our spouse, getting to know them and understanding that they're a complex creature and there are things that we don't know. And that keeps the relationship thriving. See, in Exodus 20:20, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you. That is, fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. There's some 2020 vision for you. So what is Moses saying? It sounds like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, right? Do not fear, for God has come to test you to see if his fear is in you. He's differentiating between the two different types of fear. Do not be scared, Freddy Krueger of God. But have reverence, God has come to test you to see if the reverence, fear of the Lord, and awe is in your hearts. See, I, want you to, I just want you to kind of take that scripture in a moment. Because sometimes when we're reading the word of God, the word of God is actually reading us. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And he convicts and he nudges. He says, I want, you to, I want you to seek this out for yourself because he cares about you, because he loves you, because he wants to reveal something to you. It's not enough to sit under this commu- my, my communicated knowledge. You need to receive that re- rever- revelation knowledge, something that the Holy Spirit reveals to you. And this should be stirring something inside of your spirit that the Lord is wanting to show you. See that word test. God's come to test you. Okay, what's the purpose of a test? 
purpose of a test is to see what's inside of you, right? It's to see if you understand how to add fractions or to see if you understand um, proper grammar. It's to see what's inside of you. And often during a test, the teacher will remain silent to see if that is inside of you. And so this test is to see if we have that reverence toward God or if we become a bit too familiar, a bit too casual. Well, Matt, this sounds super, super heavy. You know, this, is, this was true even when Jesus was walking the earth. The Bible says when he, returned, uh, when he returned to Nazareth, he could not do any mighty works. Isn't that interesting that the Bible says he could not do? If it said would not, that would be easier to stomach, right? Because that would deal with his will. Jesus just didn't want to do it for whatever reason. But, to, to, but could not means he was restrained. And how many of you know we have to understand what restrains Jesus? Because whatever restrained Jesus restrained us. And the Bible goes on to define that, you know, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. So they saw Jesus as just the boy that grew up with their sons and daughters. He was a carpenter. He was like, isn't that Joe and Mary's kid? And therefore, when Jesus went there, he could not do any mighty works because they were too familiar with him. Because they looked down on him. And the Pharisees missed out on a lot of the miracles of Jesus because they also looked down at him. But the people that truly saw him as the son of God were open to be able to walk and receive those miracles. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 8.13, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Everybody say, hate evil. Hate evil. This is why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverted speech. In all my years of attending church and running around in different ministries, I've met thousands upon thousands of people that love what God loves. But that's really not the question this scripture is asking. Do you hate what he hates? It's a good question to ask yourself. Or do you tolerate? what he hates. Because essentially what you tolerate, you endorse. What you justify, you buy. I don't have any more rhymes, but you know. Can I give you a blind spot for many believers? I know that it was a blind spot for me, and I've seen this blind spot take out many great men and women of faith. Speaking of this issue of hating what he hates. I was reading about David the other day. And we all know the great story of David and everything, a man after God's own heart, right? And all the men, you know, all the great exploits taking down Goliath. And here, the nation of Israel is at war. And David isn't with the men fighting. He's back at the palace. And he takes a walk upstairs on top of his palace. And he looks across his kingdom. And he sees the house that's directly across from his. And he sees a woman named Bathsheba taking a bath, right? And he begins to allow sin to enter his heart instead of looking away. And what really got, and then we know he went on to send Bathsheba's husband to the front of the battle who ended up losing his life. And then he ended up getting, you know, with Bathsheba and committing adultery. And what really got me in this is I start, as I started to think about David, a man after God's own heart, I think if Bathsheba or another woman were to show up at his doorstep 
and basically try to seduce him. I personally believe, this is my personal belief, that David would have had the, the, the discernment to recognize that this isn't right and he would have pushed it away. But because the sin was at a distance, he entertained it. And because he entertained it, it began to take root inside of his heart and he acted on it. And this is my warning to you, to myself, to everyone. That if you entertain sin, even at a distance, it will take root inside of your heart and it will distort the way that you see things. Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War, said the greatest tactical mistake that you can make in battle is to underestimate your opponent. Paul said, we are not ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. And so you must understand that he is a deceiver. And he knows that if someone maybe chops up some lines of cocaine right in front of you, that you have the strength to resist that. But maybe, just maybe, while you're scrolling on your phone and an inappropriate ad pops up, maybe you just take a little bit of extra time looking at it that once. Just that one time. And then it happens again. Because algorithms. Demon algorithms. And then you spend a little bit more time. And before you know it, you've drifted off the path that God had set you on so far that you're now in the act of committing adultery. David, a man after God's own heart, found himself in that situation because he entertained sin from a distance. It's not good enough to just love what God loves. We must hate what he hates. It protects us. We must view sin like we view cancer. We don't want anything to do with it. Shoot, people were more vigilant with uh, all the COVID restrictions and sometimes we are with sin. It will change and alter the course of your life and that is how we have to treat it. And sin that is at a distance is just as dangerous, maybe sometimes even more, than sin that is creeping at your door because the same desire is to have you. Does that make sense? Yeah? Cool, cool. Isaiah 11, 2 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, speaking of Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Jesus' delight was to be in the spirit of the fear of of the Lord, to have that reverence of understanding who God is in proximity to who we are. And so if Jesus saw this as absolutely essential, we cannot dismiss this text as optional in our lives because this is the key that will open up our relationship with the Lord to be able to maybe hear him clearer and to keep our feet set on the path that he set before us so our lives don't end up in tragedy, in heartbreak. So what is the fear of the Lord, right? Like that's a good, it sounds like this big ambiguous, like big idea, this lofty thing that's so hard to get our heads around that it absolves us from having to do anything with it, right? Well, let me kind of break it down for you. 
I think the best example of the fear of the Lord, or one of the best examples, is Abraham. Remember, Abraham was trying to conceive for a long, long time. God gave him this promise. We studied this the other week. His name was Abram. And God changed his name to Abraham before he even had Isaac. And then he had to go into the village and tell everybody, actually, it's not Abram. It's Abraham. And they're like, father of a multitude? Dude, you're old. You have no kids. Are you psycho? But he began to confess it, not as those things were, but as they would be. So Abraham had to exercise his faith. So here's Abraham. He finally inherits the promise. Sarah conceives. He has Isaac. Everybody's like, dang, you know, you were right the whole time. So his testimony, while he was correcting people on his name, was always pointing people to God, even though they were mocking him probably and making fun. When the promise came, there's the testimony. And now people are beginning to believe what God did for one, he'll do for another. Maybe there is something to your God. Maybe there is something that I should be following. That's why it's so important that we share our testimony, not when we're at the end of it and we've received the promise, but we're in the middle of it because it steadies and strengthens our faith. And it actually means more to somebody when you have nothing and you say, God has promised me this. And they say, dude, you have nothing. And then when you get to the other side and you have the thing that God promised you, they're scratching their head saying, hey man, I knew this guy when he had nothing. And he used to say all the time, God's God given me a dream. God's given me a promise. I'm believing God for this. For like two years, this cat used to say that all the time. And now look at him walking in that. Because sometimes when people hear a testimony at the end, you rob them of the trajectory of everything that you had to overcome and believe in the long periods of wilderness in there. And that's where most people are at, if I can be honest with you. So we should be faithful to share our testimony, even when it hasn't manifested in our lives. But Abraham, so Abraham has Isaac, the promise is there, everything's good. And then the Lord asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Dude, are you kidding me? Can you imagine if the Lord asked you to do that? To sacrifice your son. And Abraham didn't have Genesis to read. And you know what the Bible says? Early the next morning, Abraham set out to the mountain with Isaac. You know, when God asks us to do something, myself included, I'm guilty of this. I'm not projecting this on you. There have been so many times that I'm like, well, I'm just going to pray about this. I just want to, I'm going to meditate on this. I'm just going to think on this. And I'll say, yeah, you know, the Lord's been dealing with me on this for a long, long time. I am just showing you my immaturity and my lack of the fear of the Lord. Because when God asks you to do something, you need to do it. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray for confirmation because God will confirm it. But I'm saying that Abraham was in a place in his life that when God asked him to do it, early the next morning, he was up. And it was a three-day journey, so he had a long time to think about it too. And so we need to get to a place when God asks us to do something because we reverence God, because we have awe for God, because we understand if God's asking us to do something, it holds weight, it's important, we need to do it instead of kicking the can forward another six months, another year, another three years. There have been things in my life that I have kicked forward and I believe I've missed out on the opportunity of the blessing of obedience because I simply did not act. 
No, God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I'm not going to lose anything with God. But I mean, there are moments that it could have grown, that it could have grown closer to him, that it could have revealed more of his faithfulness and his character where I didn't have to sweat and stress in certain situations because I could have been reminded of the faithfulness of God over these moments. But instead, I, I turned inward. So let me just help give you kind of five statements to help you understand the fear of the Lord. You obey him instantly. You obey him when he asks you to do something. You obey him even if it doesn't make sense. How often do we try to rationalize what God's asked us to do? Well, let me look at it from this angle. Let me look at it from this angle. And before we know it, we've reasoned our way out of being obedient to God. Martin Luther said reason is a whore. And so that's a heavy word. There's your PG-13 rating right there, okay? I warned you though. I said it was gonna be PG-13. But we have to be careful because reasoning is extremely dangerous. Number three, you obey him even when it hurts. Sometimes God asks you to do something and it doesn't necessarily feel good. It's uncomfortable. You have to address something in somebody's life. And you know that you, the, what, the potential of losing that relationship as you address this, as you speak the truth in love. So it's easier sometimes just to, to ignore it. To, to, to look the other way. Number four, you obey him even if you don't see a benefit. Right? In our, in our world, we're like, I'll do this if, if it makes sense to me. I'll do this if, if I understand it, if I see the benefit of it. And the fear of the Lord says, I'm going to do this, God, because you've asked me to do it. And number five, you obey him to completion. Remember, Saul did 99% of what God asked him to do. He just kept the king alive for his own pleasure. And he lost his kingdom. So partial obedience is disobedience. The Bible says in Psalm 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. God has secrets. God has things he wants to share with you, things he wants to reveal to you. But in order to be able to come into that close proximity, we have to have that reverential awe for our protection. Uh, where do I want to go from here? Psalm 103.7. I'm skipping ahead a little bit, guys. He, speaking of God, made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Do you know how many people there are in the church that only know God according to his acts? You know, we had a financial need we prayed, we sowed a seed, and God met us here. We had physical illness, and God healed us. But they're not intimate with God. They're looking at God as like the, the big sugar daddy in the sky. I come to God when things are jacked up, when I need something, and God will bail me out. But they're being robbed of actually having an intimate relationship with God, for God revealing part of his plan of why he created mankind, of how he's going to reach every soul on this planet. God wants to share things with you. And on another level, I've shared this many times that there is a poverty mindset, poverty spirit on this state that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to break. There is no shortage of entrepreneurial ideas in heaven. Every single one of us, God wants to prosper and to bless so that we can open and create new opportunities for other people. But it requires a level of reverence and understanding who God is and who you are. And as you pursue God, he shares those secrets. He shares those things with you. 
There isn't like this special like halo over certain individuals and not over other individuals. God is looking for people that are willing to strip themselves of the ideology of this world to pursue and to run after him. And as we run after him, he begins to reveal more to us. There's no way that any of you are going to get to heaven and God's going to say, you got everything that I had for you. He has so much planned for you. And so we have a responsibility for our children, for our spouse, for our city, for our community to really chase after God. And God has, I don't know where you're at in your life. You may feel like your back's up against a wall. You may have $17.36 in your bank account. I am telling you, you'd be amazed what God can do in the course of six months, a month, a year. Tonight, this very night, he can give you an idea that blows open the gates for you. But you have to pursue him. And again, we don't pursue God for what we can get. I'm just giving you context because God loves us so much and he's a good father. He rewards us and he likes giving good gifts. So that's just part of the package with God. He's just one of those dads. But don't approach God just simply for what you can get. But God wants to show you things and reveal things to you. Isaiah 33, 6. We're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do one of these numbers. It's all good, right? Okay. Just, sorry. It's so hot, man. Um, he will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich storehouse of salvation and wisdom and knowledge and the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. The key. One of the scriptures says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I want you to think about that. If we don't have that reverential awe in our hearts, we're not even at the beginning of wisdom. We're not even in basic addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, verb, noun, pronoun. Can you imagine going through life without the basics, elementary, like school basics? You You wouldn't be able to get very far if you didn't understand the core arithmetic, core grammar. And the Bible is essentially saying like the fear of the Lord, that's like the beginning of, that's the very beginning. That's the entrance point of you being able to receive this wisdom from the Lord. And so I want to encourage each and every single one of you to make room inside of your heart. I've shared this analogy before, but I was reading a National Geographic a while ago. And... Um, And it said that we had explored less than 15% of the ocean. I know Elon Musk is sending cars and people to Mars, but we have an ocean that's here on this earth. The world is 70% water, and we've explored less than 15%. There's so much left to explore. And I thought to myself, what a perfect correlation to the body of Christ. How many of us have yet to explore the, the awe and the wonder of God that we've stayed short in the 15% kiddie pool and we say we're all good right here when God is saying there's so much more that I want to show you. There's so much more that I want to reveal to you. That is an invitation for each and every single one of us. 
And so I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. The fear of the Lord is the sure foundation for our times. We live in a world where the popular buzzword is deconstructing your faith. I hear it and I see it everywhere. I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm deconstructing my faith. My question is, what was your foundation? What is your foundation? Is Christianity something that can be explained away from you? Or is it a core relationship that you have with the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth? Has he spoke to you? The enemy is the deceiver. And the Bible says that in the end times, even the elect will be deceived. And the problem with deception is you believe with all your heart you're right, and in reality you're wrong. Let me ask you this question. Over the last two years, COVID, misinformation, fake news, social media, wars, Rumors of wars. Have you looked to the left and have you looked to the right and been shocked? Wow, I thought Sue was on this path and now it seems like she's on this path. I never understood, I never knew that Charlie saw the world like this and now he sees it like this. I've been shocked over these last few years where people I thought were standing in a certain place are standing somewhere else. And that's the enemy at work. He's a deceiver. And we must have that sure foundation. And it's the fear of the Lord that keeps us safe. The Bible says in Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. When God is in the proper context in our life, it's clean. We know we're protected. We know our lives are in the palm of his hand. We know that he's going to provide. We know that he's going to take care of us. We haven't got a familiar spirit. We haven't gotten casual with the things of God. I want to pray for each and every single one of you today that God would baptize you in the fear of the Lord. Jesus walked in the fear of the Lord. And I want to encourage you after I pray for you to allow that to take root for you to take these scriptures and to meditate on them to think on them to ruminate on them to study them to ask the Holy Spirit to show you how to walk in the fear of the Lord to get as close to him as you possibly can so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes dear Heavenly Father I thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice I thank you for the yes inside of their spirit Lord, I am asking that the words that I shared from Scripture would take root inside of their heart. The Holy Spirit, you would reveal yourself in a new, fresh, and invigorating way. That you would partner with them in walking out what it means to walk in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I pray that they would never lose their reverence. They would never lose their awe that they would truly see that as the key to intimacy with you, allowing it to be the foundation of their relationship. Father, I pray that they would walk in the fullness of everything you wrote in your book about them. 
that you would be there every step of the way excavating that destiny, excavating that calling and that purpose. And Lord, this morning, as many are searching, what am I called to do? What am I supposed to do? Lord, fill them with hope. Not a worldly hope that says maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, but a godly hope that says it was written. And now I stir my faith to walk towards that promise knowing that the Lord that created me and wrote, pen those words will see me through. He who has begun a good work is faithful to complete it. Lord, I break the spirit of poverty. I break the spirit of lack. I pray for the faith to believe for endless possibilities, for new streams of revenue and resource. That our future isn't determined by Washington, D.C. or anything in the natural, but that you are our provider and that every single one of our needs are met according to your riches and glory. Father, I pray for that seed of hope to take root inside the soil of their hearts and that it would grow into fruition. And we ask that you would receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Just a reminder that two weeks from now, baptisms. So if you want to get baptized, make sure you stop at Guest Central. If you want to go on the men's retreat, Guest Central. Till next time, everybody. Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.